Hello again, we're back. Enjoy the second part of this amazing interview with Dan. I think you're going to really enjoy talking about killing the ego and the myth behind spirituality. So prepare your cup of coffee and get ready because we're going to question everything about life and happiness. It, it's funny because, you know, sometimes people, and I think it's very common right now, people talking about uh, psychedelics and killing, mm. the experience of killing the ego. Um, and sometimes I think it's it's cool to experiment new things in order to find answers. But I also believe there's a big danger in people mm. that maybe have never sit down to think or to listen to their mm. thoughts. And mm. I want to talk about that because I think, especially here in America, it's like very common people to go into the streets. And I come from Venezuela, which ayahuasca is performed by a man in Amazonas. So it's like a whole spiritual ritual that maybe you can't find here. I want to talk a little bit about using something to gain clarity because what you say, like every time the ego comes, it's dressed differently. I'm going to tell you about a dream I had. Uh, And that's when I realized that I might get into the same level of consciousness through just meditation uh, than just trying different things like, you know, psychedelics and rooms and this stuff, which can actually cause a break, uh, a rupture in the person's psyche um, Mm. and just can cause more harm than uh, give you answers, right? Something that it should Mm. be performed someone and especially if they really know what they're doing especially if you're doing like microdoses or uh, this type of thing i think it's fascinating but i mm-hmm. have a lot of respect for me because i experience meditation and i know what i can understand with meditations properly performed mm-hmm. i had a dream i was in a room it was a white room with a round table and i i couldn't see people's faces but there were like people from all over the world and from the like the 19th century and the 7th century and there's this voice it sounded like my voice in another language and it told me sit down and open your eyes and this was i think it was like a big part of my awakening path mm. because when i when i woke up when i woke when i opened my eyes it was me every mm. single person in that table that it was me, it was myself. And I was like, I'm fucking crazy. Like I'm losing my mind. What am I doing here? And and one is like, did you remember when we were in a squad line in Edinburgh? We were in Edinburgh and you were killing this animal. And I was like, what the fuck? And there was that other other version of mine. So like blonde, like you know, with freckles. But it was me. I know it was me. Uh it mm. different. It looks so different than myself. Like it was taller, smaller, fatter, thinner, but it was me. Uh, mm. And I was not consuming anything. I was just meditating. Like I was doing transcendental meditation. And after I did the session, I went to bed. And I was like, mm. I woke up in the morning. Like, <laughs> what the <laughs> Yeah. And then I understood that, like, the fact that we are always changing. Always. Yeah. Like, believing that we were the person and that we're still the person that we were yesterday is just a fantasy. Uh, mm-hmm. what would you say about this? Because this is just my case, right? But it's like a metaphor and it's like an example of what you're saying. We come back different every time, especially yeah. when we just use something to alter, alter uh, our yeah. mental state or, or escape our reality. Yeah. So this is a wonderful account, Val. I really enjoyed your account <laughs> there of this dream because 
Um, this is a great demonstration of the kinds of trippy experiences that people will have in meditation and indeed in dreams as they continue a mindfulness practice. These kinds of things tend to show up and they show up differently for everyone. And it's always fascinating for me to hear all <laughs> of the different presentations that this stuff will have. So what that sounds to me like is that you're having insight into the nature of identity mm. and how empty and transient it really is. And then your mind is creating imagery that supports that insight. And you have this experience that, wow, how, how I can feel like that's me, even though it looks different to what I expect to see when I look in the mirror, right? Reminds me actually of an experience that I had when I was really, really young, maybe six or seven years old, Val. I was walking along the bicycle path near the house that I grew up in. And actually, just now I'm realizing this was a contemplation that I made more than once. But this one particular time, I had this profound experience. And this is looking back, you know, I, I never really thought much of this. But once I got into mindfulness, I realized this was insight. I was having insight at the age of six. It's mad. So what I was contemplating was what it would be like to be another person. And I was really imagining, like, what if I was another little boy in another country? And then the insight moment was when I realized that if I were someone else, I wouldn't know that I was someone else. I would just be someone else. And I could be that someone else imagining what would it be like to be a little boy in England? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like that. It just, yeah. yeah. So there really is no solid, stable identity anywhere. No one really has an identity. There's just familiar appearances. And because we have the power to make memories, we're able to see patterns of familiarity. And so we create, we contrive this identity for ourselves. And it's very convenient. And one of my favorite things about what we're talking about here, about the whole big picture of all of this is we don't have to stop using the word I. Like you said, we don't have to make some great campaign against the ego. We can still have a personality. We can still crack jokes. We can still speak about ourselves. There is this vivid appearance. This is a wonderful terminology from the Tibetan culture. They talk about awareness and its inseparability from phenomena, these vivid appearances of self of a separate identity of an ego. But now we know them in their proper context. We know that they are just a relative appearance as opposed to being something with absolute meaning, absolute identity. It is. It is exactly like that. When you realize that you're not, I am this or that. Mm -hmm. I think I was talking with a friend the other day and I was telling her, what's the problem with saying, because people is always expecting me to say, I am this and I am that. Mm -hmm. And I achieve this and I achieve that. Well, what if I now I am in a moment of my life then that I just say, I am. Mm. I am. And that's mm. the moment. I am being. The human mm. being is something that is in Duran. It's constantly happening. Um, and we get so attached to a certain moment in our life. And and what hurts, I think, is that that we were we're living just thinking about what was. And we want to mm. be like that. We want to have the same body. We want to have the same energy. It's something that when you're so aware, it happened to me, and I think it happened to you, 
I just realized my body might have not the same energy levels and what worked for me in the past. Even I am a very extrovert. I was a very extroverted person, but walking this path of spirituality and awareness, I realized that, and it's something I, I perceive in therapy. I have so many black spaces when I was a kid. Hmm. So, many, and I try to go and try to connect with those moments. And I see you telling me these when you were seven, right? And I shut down all of that. And for me, it's so hard to go to those moments. I really, I really want to get to those moments. Um, for me, it's like very hard because I have like a blank space with my family. I, I, I don't have really like strong bonds with my family, nor my dad's, nor my mom's. And hmm. I think it's, it's curious because you realize that your sense of identity does not belong to you. Like mm-hmm. you are not the family you were born in. Um, you were just lucky enough to be here in this earth. And that's what is so important, I think, in my case, to apply in that clarity into reality. And reality is yeah. not the reality that your parents created for you or your partner mm-hmm. created for you, not even the reality you create yourself. <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. how, how would you tell people to explore the process of bringing that inner peace? Uh, and that clarity into real life situations, like someone mm. that is maybe just starting to read in your content and they just curious about what would you do, uh, or if I'm someone that feel really lost and they want to get into mm. a spirituality, what's, what would be a very practical way of maybe jumping and have a leap of faith? Sure. So a great way is to begin with a lot of reading. Right. So someone who perhaps comes across my content and, and decides that they like it, a beginning encouragement would be read more of it. Right. Go grab my newsletter, read some of the deeper dives, perhaps. But also just the the short, the little tweets, the little Instagram posts, they can work wonders. Uh, this was how I first got into all of this stuff was through the intellect. And this is a great pathway, uh, certainly in the way that we operate in 2023, right? We're very used to consuming content. We're used to consuming bite-sized content. And so if we just change the content that we're consuming from cat GIFs to mindfulness tweets, that can be incredibly powerful. Just little reminders throughout the day. And then I'm usually posting pretty regularly about taking up a very simple practice. I give a four-step practice which represents what I've found to be the optimum balance between the simple instruction to relax, which I know for me was just not enough to grab onto, right? I Mm. love the one-liner that comes from the Tibetan tradition, rest naturally without seeking or describing anything. I love that but it was difficult for me to really engage with the first time I heard it. It didn't give me enough to latch onto. I needed like most do. I needed something to do. Just give me something to do, please. Surely I've tried so hard at everything else I've ever done. Surely I have to try hard at this. Mm. Well, of course we don't. This is the opposite of trying is what we're trying to get to. However, what I found useful was to give just a little bit, to myself. And now I find this to be the optimum balance for students as well, which is step one to simply get comfortable in a distraction-free environment. Step two is to relax, meaning to accept everything as it is, let go, 
stop wishing things were different mm-hmm. and shut the fuck up stop describing <laughs> labeling <laughs> judging everything right and then the very important third step to this practice is that when you notice distraction or tension congratulate yourself for the noticing acknowledge that as successful practice right we're so good at telling ourselves off so we'll we'll get distracted and then we'll go fuck i'm supposed to be meditating damn it maybe leave everything why can't i do this exactly (laughs) right and then we're off on that downward spiral why can't i do this this is useless oh this works for other people but it doesn't work for me right where all we need is that flip of perspective we need to develop a positive reinforcement here psychologist dr ian robertson wrote a book called the winner effect you come across this book val yeah (laughs) yeah great so for our audience the winner effect is something that dr robertson discovered in animals he discovered that in the animal kingdom uh animals that won fights against small rivals would be more likely to go on and win fights against larger rivals. And so Dr. Robertson asked, could this psychology still be present in humans? And he found, yes, it is. And good news, not only in relation to fighting, but in everything that we do, right? So let's forget about getting enlightened. Yeah. And maybe we'll come back to to that whole trap in a minute. But um, if we can just congratulate ourselves for that one moment of noticing distraction noticing tension in our practice then we're doing great and then step four of that simple practice that i give is to just repeat steps two and three so back to the relaxing letting go shutting the fuck up when then another distraction another tension arises acknowledge that as success that you noticed and then back to the relaxing again that makes you feel like something i always like to use the word divine not because it's divine but divining in the sense of humanity, like in the sense of simplicity, in the sense of sometimes you don't have to add things. You have to let go of certain things and repeat and repeat and repeat. The simple things that are going to make it. People is just looking for things immediately. And I think it's the way we consume content right now, our generation and future. I'm very worried sometimes about our future generations because we are learning how to add, add, add instead of stop. And saying, oh, maybe I have to do that all over again. And it happened with me and Joker now. It's just like, oh, I think I realized what Joker was. But in 2017, when I started, I had no idea what Joker mm. really means. And I'm so grateful that my body has not the same energy and it's not hype all the time. Because I am able to say, oh, the fact that I can do this post today, I am amazed of what my body can really do. Like, because it can do this today. Like, sometimes I can just walk. And that's, it's exactly like you're saying, like, I, that I have like a wide background in fitness and, and, and like in wellness. And I, I want to do that with my life in the future and dualistic retreats and everything. And it's just like teaching people how to repeat over and over again things. And I think that was, that's the marvelous things about your, your program, uh, and you're saying that you don't you do not add things to people to understand spirituality, but you go back to the simple things that I think at the end is the way as spirituality and mindfulness should be taught. Uh, mm. Especially nowadays, that we're just like heading all the time, trying to have as much as we think we should have. Mm. Um, I think this is amazing. I feel like what you're doing 
should be known, should be shared um, all the time. <laughs> I want to, like, I think I told that I want it and I, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to mm-hmm. do your mm-hmm. program uh, eventually. Good time. Eventually. Good time. But I want before we just start closing up and talking a little bit to close the interview with that uh, toxic cycle of just, Getting us talking what is spirituality really means for the people. Um, I mm-hmm. want you to talk a little bit about how people can find your work. How mm-hmm. can they connect with you? Why are you doing right now if you work work while or you're just working in the UK? I think I want to give you a little bit of space to share that because I really want people that is listening to this and want to get into a spirituality to do it with a great master. Mm. You're very kind, Val, and indeed took me a long time to actually get out here on the internet and start sharing this stuff publicly. I really wanted to make sure that I had a robust teaching that I was confident to share. I was encouraged to teach by that first teacher of mine. And I felt that due to our circumstances here in 2023, understanding of just one teaching was not enough. One of the difficulties that I'd found and that every student that I've ever worked with has come across as well is the overwhelm with the sheer number of different presentations of wisdom and practice that we have access to now in 2023. So what I wanted to do after that first teacher instructed me to teach was I wanted to kind of triangulate my position. I wanted to see, okay, so I've got a sense of what the Theravada Buddhists say. Let me go check out what the Tibetans are saying. Let me see what these folks teaching Advaita Vedanta out of India are saying. Let me see what the Zen folks are saying. And so I spent time with more teachers, but then someone who was really significant in in my journey towards coming out and teaching this stuff publicly was meeting my wife, who, as I think you know, is a neuropsychologist. And mm-hmm. So she and I hit it off comparing notes. Interestingly enough, she's from India and she'd been studying psychology over there in the east and i'd been studying the philosophies of the east here in the west and so this was a real fun and interesting coming together for us and so what i did with my wife's help was i stripped away all of the cultural baggage that didn't withstand the scrutiny of neuropsychology of science to be left only with what really works and that's precisely why my teaching is subtractive and why I do everything I can to keep it as simple as possible. So I'm glad that you see that, Val. Now, people can find me at dangoldfield.com. They can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, the new Instagram threads app. Basically, everywhere, I'm at It's Dan Goldfield. Dan. At It's Dan Goldfield. That's amazing. Just, I'm so grateful that I know you're very busy, but I'm grateful. That, that you are here. I will share all that so people can contact you in the description of the episode. Um, what will be a last thing to say? Um, how do you feel? How are you feeling right now? And what would you tell the people out there as a message for today? If you can say something, what mm. would it be? Well, I always feel wonderful when I'm sharing this stuff, Val, and it's always wonderful to receive such genuine gratitude from the other side of the screen. So thank you for that. We always feel good when we're working on the basis of mutual benefit, all of us. I know you know what I mean, because that's what you're out here doing too. And friends, mindfulness is the route for you to recognize that mutual benefit 
as a function of your true nature. Mm. When you remove all of the stuff that's in the way, that mutual benefit is all that's left. And you become that overflowing cup where you've benefited yourself so much. You've cleaned up your own emotional baggage to such a degree that now you can overflow that joy and wisdom and encouragement to other people. And you've got those hands free to help them with their own emotional baggage. And so this is all that's happened for me is by cleaning up my own stuff, I ended up with enough space to begin helping others with theirs. And it's a very natural path. It's a very natural progression. This is what's been going on in the monasteries for thousands of years already. Someone goes into the monastery, they've got their own stuff to deal with, they deal with it, and then they become a teacher. It's really a very ordinary thing. All of this is just a journey back to the ordinary. And folks, if hearing this, you feel like this couldn't possibly happen for you, know that I was in the same position. That was me before I started this journey. I couldn't conceive of freedom from that emotional baggage. Couldn't even imagine what that would be like. But it was a slow process for me. And over time, slowly, all of that stuff was dissolved. And life on the other side is an immense joy. I have, I'm special. Like, I have learned nothing to add. It was just mm. marvelous about inviting people to just be what they are. Might be the best way of saying goodbye. <laughs> Thank it's you. Wonderful. You're Thank so you welcome, Val. Great I to have, be with have you. Have a great day, and I'll see you very soon. Great. Bye-bye. Bye bye.